The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Student Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash student dash ministries. We are on week three of Church and Culture. If you guys remember two weeks ago, I started off, it's a short three-week series that we're on right now, and I started off talking about who we are, um, who we are in Christ, and really what that what that means is the significance of what the gospel is to us. If we could go to the next slide. Um, understanding our identity is significant in leading us to communicating God's word to people. That if we don't understand the significance of what the gospel means and what we have and, and how deeply those people need what we know, then we're never going to be convicted to share that. But if we fully understand what it means to have the gospel and to be a follower of Christ and what that means eternally for you, well, then it will lead you to a point of, of a desire or a conviction to share with those people. And so we talked about that two weeks ago, but really we, we came to the conclusion that living uh, for God does not mean privacy. It doesn't mean that you are supposed to be secluded, but um, we've also been talking in Sunday school that, that really um, what it means is that we are supposed to be immersed in a culture that is... Um, not living the same way we are, that we're supposed to be immersed within people, rubbing shoulders with people that don't necessarily have the same beliefs that we do. And so that is so important that we are immersed and that we aren't to be private with our faith, but we're supposed to be living out with those people. And so um, last week then, last week Coy spoke, if you guys remember, and he was talking about um, John 8, and really we found out that once you have a deep conviction to share, that we are to appropriately witness. There's a right way to witness, and there's obviously a way in which actually does more harm to the name of Jesus Christ than does good. And so we are to witness in an appropriate manner, and really we found out last week that that doesn't um, mean that we are to be judgmental, that it's not our jobs to be the judge that it's not us who um, are the ones that are supposed to say that they are righteous in Christ or they are sinners, that really, that's not on us. That's, that's God's job. And so our job as an appropriate um, witness is to, is to love them and that to acknowledge that we are no better, that we are no less of a sinner, that we can identify. We are unified with those people, right? We are unified as all of us are sinners. Those people, Jesus said, any of you guys that actually have the right to throw that stone, go ahead. And every single one of them drop the stone because we are all unified in the deep need for Jesus Christ to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. We are all sinners. We are all unworthy. And so we are unified with those people because of that. So now this week, we are going to acknowledge, yes, we're supposed to show those people love. We're supposed to show those people um, considerate. We're not supposed to be, we're supposed to be considerate. We're not supposed to be um, mean. We're supposed to love them. But as you can read here, being considerate and loving does not mean quiet or shy about beliefs. That sometimes is an understanding that we, we start to get somewhere, not from reading scripture, but that to be polite or to be nice to, to, to the world around us, that we don't want to ruffle any feathers, that, that um, they don't live the way we do, and so we just aren't supposed to really confront them about this, like we don't need to talk about it. Being loving to these people does not mean being quiet and shy about our beliefs, but really, truly loving them means that actually talking a lot about what we believe. It's the exact opposite, that if you truly love them, then you will talk to them but in a right way, in a right manner, right? And so um, we're going to talk about that this week, that being considerate 
or loving does not mean being quiet or shy about the beliefs. And so um, two weeks ago, we started off in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we read verses 9 and 10. And so this week, we're going to jump back into 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read the next two, next two verses, uh, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, if you guys have your scriptures, go ahead and start um, turning there now. I see people pulling phones out and scrolling, so that's awesome. Um, if you don't have... Um, a paperback, you don't have your phone, raise your hand. I'd love to uh, give you one right now. I only have four, and so um, one, two. And if you guys don't have a Bible, and I'm handing you this now, if you don't have one at home, if you don't have one at all, please keep this. This is Evangel Temple's gift to you. We want you to be supplied with God's Word to where you can grow in understanding with it. And so please um, hang on to that. So First Peter chapter 2. Verse 11 and 12. Who's all there? First Peter chapter 2. If you guys would be willing to stand once you have it, we're going to read um, the word. You guys can follow along uh, either in the Bible in your hand or up on the screen, and I will go ahead and read it. But we just stand just because we want to honor God's word and, um, and show appreciation and love for him showing his scripture to us in that way. And so First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter writes, Beloved Speaking to Christians, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We're going to talk about that. What does that mean, to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul? Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds... And in turn, they will glorify God on the day of visitation. You guys can be seated. Thank you for that. May God honor the reading of his word. So let's unpack this a little bit, okay? Two verses. We've got a little bit of time. Let's unpack these two verses. What does this mean? Um, Peter's talking to some, to some believers. And he says, abstain from evil desires and to do good things, to, to live righteously or honorably among Gentiles so that they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so I think um, this is really impactful, and if we really dig deep into what he's saying, it can really change the way that we live day in and day out among our peers and friends and family, the people that you have on your mind right now that um, don't necessarily know Jesus Christ, but you have a longing that they would. And so this really, I think, speaks to those interactions. And so um, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. He starts off with saying, as aliens or as, um, as sojourners or as people of exile, I, I don't know what um, uh, translation you guys have, but these are all possibilities. They're all pretty much saying the same thing. People that um, aren't from that place. Sojourners are people that are like um, nomads, someone that is traveling around, but they're not in their land that which they're originally from, okay? Somebody that's just... Um, Throwing the thumb out and hitchhiking, right? So these people are, are not of this place. They're aliens is another way to, um, to, to say that. So being someone that doesn't belong, someone that um, sticks out like a sore thumb. You guys have all heard that saying. Um, I got a little story. So I was, I don't know what year actually, in college, maybe two, three years ago. And um, I have a really close friend, I think. Uh, he, he's just such an amazing man of God. And uh, just kind of walking with him. And our faith journeys and just kind of um, uh, wrestling through different things of faith with one another, right? I think we should all have these kind of friendships and, and relationships. And, and he's challenging me. I'm challenging him. Um, but this particular friend of mine was struggling through with, with a, um, 
a life-controlling habit. He was dealing with an addiction. And so um, we were kind of working with that uh, with one another. And so he's been going to this, this meeting, this support group, something similar to AA, okay? If you guys know, know what that is. And so um, he was going to this support group. It's a kind of a Christian base. Going, they're meeting at a church. And, and so I've been really just cheering him on on this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in his corner and everything. And, and because of that, um, he, he invites me one night and he says, you know what? This isn't a typical night. This isn't a normal night here at this meeting. Um, we're actually going to, we're not going to be meeting like normal. We're going to be having like this potluck thing. So it's bring your own food, bring a friend, come and hang out. And so you'll be able to get to know um, my friends that I've been growing through this, this, this addiction, this habit of mine, and we've been working through this together. And so if you want to come, um, that'd be awesome. And so I said, absolutely, man, I'd love to. Thank you for inviting me. And so um, I ended up going. And um, somewhere along the chain of communication, we really messed up. Because I was the only visitor, and um, this was not a bring a friend night. It was um, a typical night, and I showed up to a meeting, and um, so where I thought it was going to be everyone had like their buddy, right, their, their friend, it was the typical like 50 or whatever people, and then Isaac. And so um, the guy on the microphone was like, I see we have a new face, and I'm just standing there like, uh... And I'm like, this is going to be a sermon illustration someday. And here we are, right? So, um, and so, so the guy not only like acknowledges me in the crowd, but he says, come on up, come on up and, and hang out. And so I'm like, oh man. And so I like, the guy next to me like leans over. He knows that, you know, I've never drank in my life. I've never had a drink. So he leans over and he's like, just go with it. And I'm like, what? So, uh, so I stand up in front of this whole crowd, and I'm just standing there, and he's like, hey, what's your name? And I really didn't want to say my name because I didn't want to, you know. And so I was like, well, my name's Isaac. And he goes, well, here's your chip. If you guys know the whole program type thing, you get like a one-year sober chip. Um, I had a one-day chip, kind of like the celebration of making the declaration that I'm going to really flip my life around. And, and, um, <laughs> and so I got that, and I got, uh, I got like a few devotional books, and I, you know, whatever. I got all these different things, and I'm like loaded up with all these goodies, and I'm like, I can't turn back now. And so I just kind of like rolled with it all night long and, um, and, uh, and never, it never went back, of course. So uh, <laughs> to some degree, I was an alien in this situation. I was, a, I, was a, I, was, I was sticking out like a sore thumb. That's what I was doing. And so it was, um, I think after, after a little while, some of these people started to catch on. Like this guy is, is um, like I was over there joking with my friend, like I can't believe this happened, you know. And all these people were like, man, he's really enjoying this. Like he's really kicking it off. And so, um, <laughs> so Peter says, be aliens, be aliens in the culture in which you are living. He says to be different than those people, and and he said, really, one reason why we're to live differently is because our behavior is the way we live. Is a, is a great witnessing tool to those around us. The way you live, the way you conduct yourself, the way that you, you talk, the behaviors you make, the way um, whatever, those are, that's how you witness these people. You show people Christ through that. And so Peter's saying, as somebody that is different, somebody that stands out from the typical mold of how culture is, society today is, be different, be aliens to that, and let your behavior be a witnessing tool to those people. He says really two ways in particular. He says, one, abstain from lustly desires or, or, or uh, passions of the flesh, right? And so abstain from the bad. And then he says, continue to do um, the good. 
He says, uh, do or conduct yourself in honorable ways among the Gentiles or non-believers. So he's saying, abstain from bad, don't do bad, and then continue to do good, okay? So two things. Both of them are extremely important. Um, so let's really flesh those out. Abstain, <laughs> flesh those out. abstain from fleshly desires. Ah. Uh, I, was, I actually, I actually um, cut this out of my notes originally today, but I think this kind of um, is necessary for somebody here in this room that uh, maybe it's, it would speak to you that what are fleshly desires, what are desires of the flesh, unholy desires, and typically we, w- we would assume that that would be um, actions, doing something, right, to where something that you could get caught doing, and then you're like, oh yeah, that, that was a sin, yeah, that was wrong, but we see in Romans, if you guys um, are still holding on your Bibles, Romans 8 is really talking about this. In Romans 8, 7 in particular, maybe 8, 7, 6, um, 8, 7, 6, 8, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, um, he's talking about, about sins of the mind, that really it just starts in the mind of, of who you are, and that comes out in your actions. And so maybe today, if you're thinking, you know, well, what are these desires that we're supposed to abstain from? And you're thinking, well, I just shouldn't be doing this or I shouldn't be doing that. Well, really, I think it goes down to I shouldn't be thinking this. I shouldn't be thinking that. If you're just trying to abstain from um, doing something that you know is wrong and you don't want to get caught doing, I think it goes much deeper than that. And you're not just off the hook if you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing. Um, I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. Really, I think we all have to challenge ourselves. Am I thinking the right thing? Am I, am I judging those people? Am I, am I, am I um, prideful? These are all like sins of the mind, sins of, of who we are deep inside and the core issues that lead out into our actions. But really, we have to address the sins of the mind that Romans 8 talks about. What are our fleshly desires? What are our sinful actions? And so, he says, abstain from those. And really, I think this is a point in which it's really important we acknowledge the difference between what saves us and the signs of our salvation. This is something that really can trip people up. It did me whenever I was in high school um, and going into college. The difference between what saves you and the signs of your salvation. If you're trying to live the right way, if you're trying to make sure you abstain from every little sin and you're thinking that impacts your salvation, you are going to be exhausted spiritually. You're going to be constantly torn down. You're going to be constantly discouraged with your faith because you're confusing your actual salvation and the sign of your salvation. Okay, so, so what brings about salvation is Jesus Christ's action, what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus dying for us to where he took upon himself all of our sins and he dealt with all that. The signs of our salvation is us just saying, I trust that he did that. I believe that he did that. And so now I'm going to, in honor him, in love towards him, and I'm going to worship him. I'm going to live, and I'm going to change the way I live because I know that he did that for me. And so it, I think it's so important when we acknowledge that how we're supposed to abstain from, from certain living, from not doing some things, I think it's so important that we don't, we don't, we don't say that we, we, we want to abstain from these things because... It makes me saved. No, really, we're saved, and so therefore I want to live that way, right? And so that's very, very important. Um, we don't abstain from sin because it saves us, but because we are already saved. We are called to abstain from evil desires. Not only are we called to abstain from desires, but he, he says that we need to keep uh, positive or honorable actions or behaviors among the Gentiles. A, um, a Scottish preacher named Alexander McLaren. He's a, 
an old-time preacher, late 1800s. I like reading those kind of guys. And so um, Alexander McLaren said, the world reads us a great deal more than the Bible. And we need to know that. That's important for us to know. The world, that is, non-believers, people that aren't living for God, they're going to be reading us 10 times more than they're reading the Bible. And we need to be ready for that because we might be all of Christ that they see. So that's just really, really important that our actions are a witness to the unreached people. Um, I was listening to an interview a few years ago, and I don't know how this stuck out in my mind, but it did. And so when I was thinking about this sermon and just kind of thinking about everything, uh, this, this interview really stuck out to me. Richard Dawkins, if you guys know Richard Dawkins, um, a a famous atheist, um, he was being interviewed and someone asked him, you know, what happens if you you die and you go to heaven or you, you, you go meet God, really, if you die and you go and see that God is real and you go to his judgment throne and you meet him, what are you gonna say to him? And I remember Richard Dawkins' answer. He says, I'm gonna ask God why he went to such great extremes to hide himself from humanity. I'm going to ask God why he hid himself from humanity. He went to such great extremes to hide himself from humanity. And I think for a lot of people, that's a legitimate question. Why, does God, why can't God just come down in a pillar of fire or something like that, show himself every couple decades? Like, why can't God do that? God's hiding himself. God is dormant. God's not showing himself. It's a legitimate um, Uh, question and concern that so many people have, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, we can all say that, that we don't believe that that's true, that God does show himself, that God isn't dormant, God isn't hidden from us, but God shows himself in so many ways. He shows himself in creation. In his handiwork, when we look outside and we, and we see the trees, we see the grass, we see the skies, we see the birds, we see the animals, we see everything, God created, God shows himself in creation. God doesn't hide himself. God is evident all around. He, sh- he shows himself in our morals that, that we have a desire, we, we have an understanding of what is right, what is wrong. God shows himself that if we didn't have a God, we wouldn't have the discernment between right and wrong, right? We believe that. He also shows, obviously, he shows himself in the scriptures. And literally, the God-breathed word, God spoke to us in the scriptures, and we, and we believe that, but more, not more than, but More than just all those, he also shows himself in our witness, in his believers' actions. We talked about it two weeks ago that the apostles, their their testimony, after Jesus Christ resurrected and, and showed himself, after his burial, the way that the apostles acted is a testimony to God's existence. Peter himself, the author of the book that we read, Peter uh, denied Jesus three times before Jesus died, but then after Jesus rose and talked to Peter again and proved that he is the God that he's been saying, Peter was willing to go to his own cross and die for Jesus Christ. The testimony of God's believers are proof of God's existence. God doesn't hide himself from humanity. Our behavior is a witness to non-believers, just like Alexander uh, McLaren said, we are a lot of the times, a great testimony to non-believers that they read us so much more than they will read the Bible. And so, um, though they can see creation and they think it's, it's beautiful, but it was just something that happened that came about, or they can read scripture and think it's just a normal book, um, they see us, his believers, and we would be willing to go through whatever because we so deeply believe that it's true. That in itself is a testimony. Man, what this person's living for must be a legitimate thing. 
to Richard Dawkins, we are a testimony of God's existence. But it can't just stop at behavior. That's so, so important. I don't know who, who said this quote. I'm a person of quotes, apparently. I swear, I, I promise, after this third quote, we are done with quotes. Um, I don't know who said it, but there's a quote that says, you guys might know it, it's pretty common, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I don't know if you guys know that quote, if you guys have said that quote. I personally, I don't want anyone like, yeah, yeah, because I hate that quote. I hate that quote so dearly. Um, because I think it's just, it's just wrong of what the Bible calls us to. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Anybody can live right. Anyone can live morally. That is called moralism, that, we, that, that an atheist can live right. But why they're living right, why we're living right, is the distinguisher, right? The important thing that when they know why we're living the way we're living, then that is a testimony to to God's existence, right? Living right without talking about it, about why, is the easiest way out, and it's the unbiblical witnessing. I think it's so easy for us to say, well, you know what, I want to be, I want to be Jesus to my friends, but I don't want them to feel uncomfortable, and so I'm just going to make sure I don't go to any parties, you know, I'm not going to do the things they're doing, you know, and so I, I don't want, I'm not going to talk about Jesus, but, you know, I want to, I want to still be the witness to them, so I'm going to live the right way, um, I think that's the easy way out that we're just going to say that because it's uncomfortable discussions that we're trying to hide from. But we have to explain to them why we are not going to those parties, why we're not doing the things they're doing, why that's the important thing, why we're abstaining from evil desires, why we are doing good things, the motive behind it, and it's because we believe in a God that has called us to that is the testimony. Otherwise, we're just, we're just preaching the gospel of moralism. And anyone can say, live right. It's easy to say, live right. It's why. First Peter, and we, we, we read, you know, we're in First Peter chapter 2. If you go to the next chapter, First Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says that, But if in your heart honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks. So he's saying in this chapter to live right, to be a witness to non-believers. And then if you just read a few verses later, he says, and be ready to make a defense. Be ready to say why you're living the way you're living, why you're abstaining, why you're doing the good things. Be ready to explain to them. And so he says, as we, as we keep going, keep your behaviors among non-believers excellent. The next clause there, so that when they speak, when they begin speaking evil against you or begin speaking um, as you as evildoers is another translation. I just want to stop there for one second, a quick side note. I think if you are, if you're living right, if you're living contrary to the way everyone else is living, if you're living contrary to the people um, that you're rubbing shoulders with every single day, if you aren't living the way they're living, and then you go to the further step and you explain to them that it's because you're a Christian, that because it's your moral convictions, it's because you believe that you're, you're called to a higher living. I can guarantee you, you're going to have people that are going to have uncomfortable conversations with you or they're going to be talking bad about you. You're going to have uh, persecution in whatever form that looks like. Um, we see it all through the New Testament. People that are willing to stand up and say, I want to live differently from society, and this is why. It's because Jesus Christ has called me to do so. Saying those two things, saying why you're doing it, always led to persecution. 
And so I just want to make a, a quick side note. So whenever, whenever Peter says, keep your con- conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you're ready for that. You're ready that they will be doing that. that that's a given. That's going to happen. We see in Mark chapter 6, Mark is talking about this, the life and story of Jesus. If you guys aren't accustomed to, to the Gospels, to, to the Scriptures, uh, Mark is just like recounting the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, as he came down as man, and he's living the, li- the life that he had, that he, that he led um, on this earth. Mark is just giving us an account of that. And so in chapter 6, Jesus has 12 disciples, 12 people that he's really close with. And he says, go out. I send you out and preach the word. And then all of a sudden, like, Mark just stops. And then he says, so then there was this guy named John. And he starts talking about John the Baptist, okay? And he's going on this whole long paragraph about John the Baptist, how he was beheaded because um, the, the, the ruler at the time, Herod, didn't like him. And so he beheaded John because John was um, a fervent, a strong uh, Christian that was willing to fight for what he believed in. And then Mark just kind of says, and then the disciples turned back to Jesus and they came back and they told him all that they'd done. And it's like, whoa, hold on, Mark. It's like, Mark is kind of either super ADHD and it's like, Mark, you just focus, man. Tell me one story at a time. Say that Jesus sent out his disciples. They came back. They told him all they did. And then you can tell us about John or tell us about John and then, but no, he says, Jesus sent out his disciples. John fought for his belief and he was beheaded. And then the disciples came back and told Jesus all that he had done. Why does he do this sandwich? Why does he do that in his story? I think there's intentionality, a reason why he wrote his story the way he did. And I think it's because he's saying, whenever Jesus' disciples go out into the world, expect this story of John. Whatever that looks like, whatever that formation that looks like in your life, expect conflict, expect persecution, expect problems, expect uncomfortable situations, whatever that looks like in your life, it's going to be varied for every single person. But he says, God sends out his disciples. John goes through this persecution and the disciples come back to Jesus. It's not to be skipped over in Mark that Mark is saying, without literally saying it, that as believers, when we stand up for what we believe, that we don't just live contrary to the way society is living, but we also say why we're living it. And we're supposed to expect that kind of persecution. I had this discussion with uh, one of the pastors here on staff at Evangel Temple. If you guys know Pastor Isaiah Jesh, he is an amazing pastor. And I think, yeah, woo, we had a couple of cheers. So he, um, he has a close relationship with a number of you guys I know. Yeah, those who have been here at ET for a long time, he was able to be at least part of, um, at least for some part of time, uh, the formation of your spiritual growth here at Evangel Temple. And so um, I have such a great high respect for for um, Isaiah and Malia, and uh, but anyway, I was just I was having this conversation among so many others. It's such a blessing to be able to have um, a colleague um, like Isaiah to have these kind of discussions. But Isaiah and myself were was just talking. We were just talking about this that Christians. It seems like nowadays are just really uh, hiding from the fact of being able to stand up for what they believe in. That um, for some reason we're, we're worried that we're going to upset. People, which is legitimate. Like, well, I don't want to upset my friends. You know, I don't want, I don't want to lose a friendship. Um, and so we, we see, I mean, it's not only just Christians um, at school or Christians at work, but it's, it's also pastors. No one is off the hook on this. I think just in Christianity in general, a lot of people um, in all professions, in all spectrums, in all realms um, have really gone laxed in, in their convictions and their beliefs because they're scared of, of upsetting people. 
And I think, I think that's a serious problem that we have to deal with. And I'm not saying here, I want you to hear, hear me, I'm not saying that we're supposed to go against society for the sake of rebellion, that we want to create conflict. We don't want to create problems just for the sake of creating problems. We even read, we just read uh, verse 11 and 12. If you go to verse 13, Peter says, so submit to your non-Christian leaders. Submit to people um, of authority over you that aren't living for God. We're not saying that we should that we should create conflict or problems among our relationships with peers for the sake of rebellion or for the sake of causing problems because we want problems. No, but I'm saying that we shouldn't be worried about those to the sake of neglecting our convictions. Whenever we're so worried about making another person feel comfortable, that we're willing to set aside our biblical convictions, when we're willing to set aside our beliefs of what scripture says, and we're willing to set that aside because we care more about um, it not being uncomfortable or awkward with somebody, I think we're really doing disjustice to what the scriptures called us to do in the Great Commission. That when, when, we're, when we're setting aside our morals because we want to have good relationship with people and, and not have an issue we're really missing the mark, quite bluntly and candidly. Are we neglecting what we're called to do to make sure that we don't make others uncomfortable? So Peter continues, I want to finish it up. Keep your behavior among non-believers excellent so that when they speak against you as evildoers, this is the last part, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on visitation day. They're going to see your dedication. They're going to see your passion. They're going to see your conviction. They're going, to, they're going to see what you see and why you hold it so strongly. Because once we go back to the very beginning, uh, the first week of this, when we truly see the depth of what this means, the significance of it, we're going to live wholeheartedly for it. And they're going to see that. Why is this person holding so strongly to that, so dedicated to it? And I think Scripture says that it will lead people to believing in our Lord Jesus Christ and following God. A perfect example of this is, is Stephen, the first martyr. And we're wrapping this up. Stephen, the first martyr, uh, if you're reading in Acts chapter 8, Stephen's story uh, goes before that a little bit, chapter 7, whenever he's um, talking with, with the Jews in Jerusalem. But um, Acts chapter 6 as well, we see that, uh, that Stephen was filled with grace and power, Acts chapter 6. He was filled with power from the Holy Spirit to perform great signs, to do great things in front of his peers, to do good works. We're called in 1 Peter to, to live right and to abstain from bad, right? Stephen was doing great things among his peers. The very next verse, we don't want to miss it, he says, and he was willing to have tough Arguments with people. We, we can, I can read it really quick. He says, Acts 6, 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9, Not only was he doing contrary to, to what uh, society's used to, then some people then some of those who belonged to the synagogues of freedom, as it were called, of the Cyrenes and the Alexandrians, of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. They had arguments with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom of the spirit in which he was speaking. He wasn't just living contrary 
to the society in which he was living in, but he was explaining why, the depth of why he was living, and he was willing to have those awkward conversations. He was, he was willing to have those arguments if it came to that sometimes. And so he was doing that and went to the point of persecution, just like First Peter chapter 2 is saying. It led to people being angry with him and persecuting him. They were calling him an, uh, an evil person, an evildoer. And it led to him being stoned. And we see that he wasn't doing it because he wanted to cause problems among these people. That's so important. But as they're stoning him, as he's literally dying, he says, God, forgive them. Stephen loved these people, but he was willing. He loved them so much that he was willing to stand up against how society was living. And he was willing to say, this is the gospel and I'm willing to die for it. I am so passionately convicted to share with you that to the point in which I'm willing to have these uncomfortable conversations and I'm willing to embrace your persecution, I'm willing to embrace you talking about me, you talking bad with me, whatever it is, I'm willing to accept that because I love you so much that I'm not willing to just shy away and be quiet about it. And so as we sit here and we think about the people that in which we rub shoulders with the people that we love, the people that we care about, the people that aren't saved. I think Stephen is an amazing example to us to love those people so deeply in which we're willing to have those uncomfortable situations that not only are we going to live contrary to the way they, that they're living, the actions that they're making, but we're willing to say why. Because I think whenever we live, contrary, or we, we live contrary to the way they are, we live different from them, but we don't explain why. We don't talk about the gospel because we think um, us just abstaining from that evil stuff is enough. I think we're really shorthanding them the gospel. Stephen was willing to talk to them. He was willing to take the persecution and be stoned. And I think, if you guys remember who was in that crowd, Saul of Tarsus was. And Saul ends up becoming Paul. And Paul ends up writing so much of the New Testament, such a, a person that impacts the early church that we read about in here. We read so much about Paul. And Saul was in there watching, watching Stephen be stoned for his faith, so strongly standing up for what he believes in. Saul was watching that. He ends up becoming a Christian. And as we read in the last part of Acts, Acts chapter 22, Paul is now standing himself in front of a group of Jews, just like Stephen was. And he recounts part of his testimony. And he begins telling them a little bit about who he is. And Stephen's part of that. Stephen's part of this testimony. And he says, and I remember Stephen, and I was willing to stand there and watch him be stoned. He remembered Stephen and what he did and how strongly he stood up for his belief because Stephen was not willing to just be quiet and shy away from telling the people that he knew and he loved and cared about the significance of what he knew to be true. He, he loved them too much for that. And so Paul was impacted by that. Paul remembered that. And Paul influenced the church. I think we can lead people to God through the way we live, the actions that we make, and the testimonies we say. But it can't just be through our actions. It has to be through our words as well. I think we, we can be like Stephen and we can impact people like Paul that will do amazing things for the kingdom. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you so much that you give us hearts to be able to live for you. You give us the spirit to give us power that we can say the right things, that we can do the right things, that we can be strong enough to abstain and we can be strong enough to live righteously, that we can be courageous enough to say why. It's, it's no lie, God, that we, we love so many people. There's, there's people here that desperately love people in their lives that are non-believers. Yet we're also terrified in having that awkward conversation. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us and you would challenge us and you would, you would lead us to be able to live in the way in which you called us, that we could be the believers in which non-believers will see us and they will read us. They will watch the way we live. They will hear the words we say and they would be turned to look towards you. God, I pray that we would be those people to our peers. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.